God creates children in His image. Parents have a responsibility to shape the child for God with the hope and prayer that when that child is old enough to understand, they will follow Him. Then things get off track. That's called parenting. It's Parenting 101. That's what we do. The parents make mistakes. I am a professional. I'm a parent. I make mistakes. The child reacts poorly. But here's the point that I want to make in this podcast. The remarkable news is how the Lord can use the bad things that happen to bring these broken children to himself. Perhaps you're listening to this podcast and thinking, well, I'm I'm not a parent, and, and so I haven't made those mistakes yet. Good for you. But you have been affected by people. You have been affected by the mistakes, the sins, the abuses, the injustices of other people. Here's the big question that I want to ask you in this podcast. As a matter of fact, this is the first question in the call to action at the bottom of the podcast. Question number one, I'll give you the call to action before I even start. Question, do you believe that the person who hurt or disappointed you could be an instrument of righteousness in the hands of the Lord that he is using to bring you into a deeper relationship with him? That is the question. That is the key idea of this podcast, and I'm so glad that you're here. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. If you want to read this podcast, here's what I want you to do. It's free. Go to our website, rickthomas.net, the title of the podcast and the article. There's more than 2,000 words there. It's titled, The Remarkable Way God Uses Your Brokenness to Heal You. I do hope that you, I do hope that you would read it. I hope that you would share it with a friend or two. I also have a bunch of links, as always, embedded inside the articles. And so you're welcome, excuse me, you're welcome to do a deeper dive if you would like to do that. This podcast, the article, and our ministry is brought to you by the faithful supporting community of this ministry. They are the backbone. They are the invisible people that you'll probably never know, never see, But God knows, and they are the people that have affection for what we are doing, and they say, well, we want to help you. And they are the ones that provide this ministry to you. And so if you have just a moment, if you would just thank God for this invisible group of people who are bringing this ministry to you and give you the opportunity to listen Uh, to it or to read or to watch or however you participate in our ministry. Thank you so much for the faithful supporting community. God bless each and every one of you. All right, let's jump into it. The remarkable way God uses your brokenness to heal you. Maybe one of the ways that you can think about this, and again, I've already implied or said rather that maybe you're not a parent you can make application here. And so maybe you can think about some of the ways that you have gotten in the way of someone who needed God. We all have gotten in the way of other people. We have hindered people. Now, for this podcast, I want to give you a non-exhaustive list of ways that parents can impede the progress of children 
who need the Lord. These things that I'm going to share with you are real. Sometimes they are painful. And again, though I'm focusing on what a parent can do wrong and how damaging these things can be to their children, they are not reasons for a child to reject God. And it will be important for parents to hear this because loving, humble parents sometimes will punish themselves because they are very much self-aware. They know some of the things, many of the things that they have done wrong, and, and their children aren't walking with the Lord. And so this list is not meant to be a punishment at all. And it's 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 really, as you listen to this, you have to listen to this within the framework of the grace of God. And here's what I want you to hear as you listen. If anyone refuses to submit to God, there is only one reason, personal, volitional rebellion. It is their choice. None of us get the option or the opportunity to say, the reason I reject you, God, is because this is what happened to me Here are the people who did it to me, and because of that, I'm not walking with you. That will not wash with the Lord. And so two things can be true at the same time. Parents can, well, we can make a lot of mistakes. Again, I'm a professional. I have made too many mistakes. Quite honestly, I don't don't like it. It's not a brag. It's, It's sadness. Uh, but I also can't live in this perpetual punishment because of the mistakes that I have made. Now, I have been on the receiving end of it, as you have as well. I used to be a child once upon a time, and I know what it's like to be on the receiving end of the mistakes of parents. And as a child, as a teenager, I le- as a young adult, rather, I, I learned at some point you got to stop blaming people for what happened to you. All right, so here's a non-exhaustive list of some of the ways that parents can impede the progress of children. One is distance. There are several ways a parent can be distant. It could be the parent not present in the home. Working parents struggle with this tension. Or you could be in the home, but unwilling to engage the child. This happens all too often as well. We're tired, we're exhausted, we work hard, we come home, we chill out. We shouldn't do that. We really shouldn't. We need to engage our kids. And because the kids gain their first and most influential understanding of relationships from their parents... It's only a short step to them believing that all relationships are like what they have with their parents. To the impressionable child, a distant parent could mean a distant God, and it is easy for that child to make that interpretation. Parents, don't be distant with your children. Number two, angry. To be angry with a child has a similar effect as the distant parent. Anger creates distance. The child will retreat from the parent to get out of harm's way. If daddy is mad with me, then I don't want to be near him. And so anger and distance, they work together to give the child a snapshot of what relationships are like and how to respond to them. Distance and anger. Number three, abusive. Though abuse is anger, obviously, it receives its unique category because of the broad and horrific nature of this kind of violence on someone. Abuse creates one of the most powerful and hard-to-overcome shaping influences on a child's soul. It is anger with salt rubbed into it and then set ablaze. Abuse in any context is horrific, especially in a uh, a 
authoritative figure to a child. So we have distance, anger, abuse, criticalness, another form of anger that gets its own category as the critical spirit, the slow drip of criticism that penetrates the child's soul, makes them feel smaller and smaller. And because of that shrinking feeling they feel inside of them, it becomes their motivation to find someone, anyone, who makes them feel better about themselves, to pump them back up again. And typically, they'll choose ill-advised romantic relationships as a reaction to the critical parent. Criticism, parent, don't be critical. And then number five we have here, divorced. Divorce leaves a hole in a child. The younger the children are when the divorce happens, the worse the effect. It's the car with a flat tire, but it continues down the road. Clump, 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 clump. The children adapt because they have no choice. But because the only right answer is a two-parent home, you can never make divorce right, no matter how right it might feel to the parent who chooses it. Divorce has an awful effect on children. It can impede their progress to God. And then finally, impatience. Impatience is similar to criticism. It says, something is wrong with you, which is the child's motivation to find someone who does accept them. Again, similar to criticism, someone to pump them up to make them feel better about themselves. The impatient parent has has a weak understanding of the gospel. The impatient parent Think about that. They are not perceiving how Christ is immeasurably patient with them. When I'm impatient with my children, I do think about that, honestly, that I am impatient with them. How patient is God with me? And so this is just a short, non-exhaustive list of some of the ways that we can get in the way of our children from getting to God. And every humble parent listening to this list, they can see themselves in it at some place because there is no such thing as perfect parenting. Now, perhaps the items that I've listed here do not represent your most typical sin against your children, but you have something. There is something that you do. There's probably more than one thing, I'm guessing here, that gets in the way of your child getting to God. And then some parents may exclaim, how can any child become a Christian? And that is an excellent question. It's excellent because it's a humble acknowledgement that all of us are flawed. On our best parenting days, we are broken images of God's original design. The reality of our parenting failures is where where you must find transformative encouragement in the power of the gospel. Let me state it clearly. There is no kid so messed up that God cannot save And though I would never excuse a parent's sin, especially mine, it doesn't matter if the parent got it mostly right or if the parent royally botched things up. Here it is. God's grace has wide borders for people like you and me. No sin. My sin, your sin, Our children's sin, no sin, is outside of God's power to save. Let me illustrate my point here. The great apologist Ravi Zacharias, who just 
who just went home to be with the Lord in the last couple of weeks. He came from a broken family. I want you to hear his testimony as it is a reminder to all of us that God's grace has broad borders. And in an ironic gospel way, as the gospel always seems to be, the ironic gospel, it was the darkness of his family life that ushered him into the family of God. And this is really the point that I want to make in this podcast. As I said with the call to action question that I gave you, do you believe that the person who hurt or disappointed you could be an instrument of righteousness in the hands of the Lord that he is using to bring you into a deeper relationship with him? Listen to the testimony of Ravi Zacharias. He said, I came to know Christ on a bed of suicide when I was 17. Desolate, desperate. My father just finished telling me I'd be a total failure in life. I was born a failure, he said. Somebody brought a Bible to my bedside. I'm so thankful to my Heavenly Father that my dad lived long enough to write a letter to me My dad died fairly early and said, Will you ever forgive me for the things I said? Ravi continues, he finishes, he says, And yet, in the dark of the soul, I found the Heavenly Father to be closer than I'd ever realized. Paul Miller gives us some insight into what Ravi is saying. In his book, A Praying Life, Paul Miller says this, Because we live in a fallen world, God has to use broken images of himself, such as a father. Think about that sentence there. What option do we have? We only have one The only kind of person that can rear you is a broken father, a broken mother, a broken authority figure. If you don't have a father and mother, the only kind of person that can rear you is a broken individual, Paul Miller continues to say. In fact, all the images God gives us of himself in Scripture are flawed The fact that we know our king or father is flawed means we know what a good father should be. Because we are created in the image of the triune God, we have the instinctive knowledge of how a father should love. If we didn't know what a good father was, we couldn't critique our own. Modern psychology can unwittingly trap us in our past It is just another form of fatalism that kills our ability to see the story God is weaving in our lives. We see the fatalism that Paul Miller talks about every day as the cries of the victims shout us down and stamp out the hope of the gospel. We can become so focused on what happened to us that we never see how the terribleness of our past could be the vehicle that takes us to a redemptive and transformative future. As image bearers, we know what justice, love, hope, life should be like for us. 
That's what Paul Miller said, because we're created in the image of triune God. We have the instinctive knowledge of how a father should love. If we didn't know what a good father was, we couldn't critique our own, Paul Miller said. And so as image bearers, we know what justice, what love, what hope, what life should be like for us. The ideal of all these things comes in our God image package. When you were born the first time, you had a God image package, and because of that, you knew what justice and love and hope and life was like, and it's why we want them. We're not like the animals of the field who who can't long for anything We want something because our Creator created us with eternity in our hearts. I used to be one of these victims. As an abused child, I knew that I could have a better life. It was instinctive in me as an image bearer. I felt it in my soul, and I saw it in my world outside of my experience. It wasn't my experience, but I saw people who lived that kind of life. But rather than embracing the purest forms of these good things, the purest forms of justice and love and hope and life, the purest forms of these things that God places in every heart, what did I do? I chose to snatch false representations of them wherever I could. I wanted justice, and so I used my anger to mete it out on my abusers. I wanted love, so I used people's affections to serve my darkest cravings. I wanted hope, so I created a kingdom of false hopes that served me. I wanted life, so I determined how to live it according to my selfish plans. There are a few people more damaging to themselves and to others than the angry victim. It's a person created in God's image. They know what is right and true because their conscience tells them so. This is part of what Paul was communicated in Romans 2, 14 and 15, that the Gentiles who do not have the Old Testament, they do what the law requires in the Old Testament, that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their consciences bear them witness. Rather than running to the perfect picture of all our hopes and dreams, the victim falls victim to false images. The unsettling truth is that what they want is not wrong, justice, love, hope, life, but what they believe will satisfy them and the means of acquiring those desires is wrong. They cry for justice, but their method of getting it hurts others. I did that. I wanted justice for the atrocities of my father, and my methodology included unabated anger at him. The gospel was a faint sound that my anger and my perceived entitlements muted. The only hope is for that gospel message to penetrate the darkness of the victim's heart. The gospel never says you're hurt or experience is unreal. And I do want you to hear that 
In fact, I'm going to repeat that because sometimes the victims of abuse can feel marginalized, and unfortunately, those who, who do counseling and care for others, they can marginalize the experience as though it's unreal, and I want you to hear me clearly. Coming to God through the portal of the gospel, the gospel never says your hurt or your experience is unreal. It validates your story while introducing you to another one, a transformative one. I realize that Christianity can sound like something from the last century or a process that does not bring immediate results. We live in a get-it-now culture. We all know that. But that is not how the gospel functions. There is an element of evolution to the gospel in that some of the things you long for take time. A world that moves at the speed of the Internet is not interested in our plodding gospel. I understand. But perhaps, perchance, Someone has hurt you. Perchance, you have been the victim of injustice and other abuses. I want, I want you to know that God is not slow. God is here. God is now. God is present tense. God wants you to trust him. The effects of your suffering will linger, but his grace does not. There are immediate healing and long-term convalescence that brings a transformation that nobody else can provide. Ravi Zacharias says it's true. He experienced it, and so do I. It is true. Only the gospel can take what people meant for evil and turn it into a good thing. It never occurred to me that the Lord was using my father's evilness to drive me to the perfect father. But that can be your story, too. And that's why I want to go back. I have more questions here in the call to action. But the primary one and the key idea in this podcast, because so many people are the victim of so much pain and abuse and horrificness, that, that sometimes we can just drown in that and not see this this thread of redemption that God is weaving into the narrative of your story. And that's why I keep asking the question, do you believe that the person who hurt or disappointed you could be an instrument of righteousness in the hands of the Lord that he is using to bring you into a deeper relationship with him Jesus said in John 12, 24, that when you put a seed into the ground, in order for that seed to grow, that seed has to die. And if it does die, it will bring forth a lot of fruit. And it's through the death of our false hopes, false life, false dreams, false justice, and that we cling to the true justice and life and hope and love that God offers us through his gospel, that we begin not only to live, but have an, a life that brings forth much fruit, which is where many people benefit from your life because you have died to yourself. You're listening to the podcast, Your Daily Drive. The title of this article is The Remarkable Way God Uses Your Brokenness to Heal You. And as I wrap up, I want to circle back around to 
the parents, because at the beginning of this podcast, I gave a, a list. I gave six things that we can do, and again, it's, a sh- it's not an exhaustive list. This is a short list, non-exhaustive, of what we can do to hinder hinder our children. And for those of us that don't have children, we can. you've gotten in the way, too, of other people who needed to get to the Lord. So there's two people that I want to focus on in this podcast, the victim of the horrificness of other people, that you can't live in that kind of fatalism. And that's where our culture wants you to live, in that fatalism. I want you to see that God can use the darkness of your night as as the opportunity for you to break into a glorious, transformative day. But then we have those who who get in the way. In this case, in this podcast, I'm talking about parents. And so I want to circle back around and, and close out by talking briefly to you because parental guilt is it is a thing. I'm speaking of imperfection and how God can turn any horrible narrative into a redemptive story. You could not have a redemptive story if there were no tragic stories. This truth applies to the victims of sin, as I have been talking about thus far in this podcast, but it also applies to those who were on the sin-giving side of the relationship, which all parents are, because none of us parented perfectly. The problem for some parents is that they too have a hard time accepting the truth claims of the gospel. You think a victim is the only person that has a difficult time accepting the truth claims of the gospel? Those parents who come back around and want to be repentant, they struggle as well. And they will tell you that God forgives all sins, even theirs but they live with a pang of low-grade guilt as they punish themselves for their parenting or misparenting of their children. They live in this perpetual mental chamber that suggests to them that they should have or could have done differently. And that's probably true. Nobody argues the point that We could have done it better. When I look in the rearview mirror, there is no question in my mind. There are some take-backs. There are some do-overs that I would like to have, but you don't get those as though you can erase those, as though they never happen. And so I'm not going to argue the point that you could have parented differently, but that's not the real issue. The real issue is, will you find rest in the transformative hope of the gospel? Do you believe that God cannot redeem your mistakes? Or you can ask it in the positive way. Do you believe God can redeem your mistakes? That is a watershed question. And where you land on it is going to send you in two di- one of two different radical directions. And so if the Lord has brought you to a place of realizing your mistakes, as he did with Robbie's dad. You see, Robbie was the victim of this abuse of his dad. But then as we've come back around in this podcast, I want to talk to the parents because Robbie mentioned that his dad did come back around and he pleaded for forgiveness for the horrible things that he did in Robbie's childhood. Well, you too can start a similar path to redemption. Will you forgive me is one of the most important questions you'll ever ask anyone. 
And the reason you want to do this is that it's right, not because it's a parental strategy to win your child back. I know how you parents think, because that's how I think, too. So often what we want to do is, we, we even in our repentance, we can weave our agendas into our strategies You're not looking for results as the main thing, the result of winning your child back. If I do this, if I ask for forgiveness, if I repent, if I go back in humility with my hat in my hand, maybe my child will turn to God. No, 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 don't do that. You want a heart that is right with the Lord regardless of the outcome. If the good Lord chooses to grant repentance to your child, praise his holy name. But if not, if he does not grant repentance to your child, praise his holy name. Here's the thing. It would be exceptional for two people to repent at the same time. It can happen. I know it can happen. But in a dynamic like this, where a parent has done something bad to the child, the parent gets their heart right with God, and they've repented vertically to God. They go to their child, they say, would you forgive me? The child might not be ready. What the Lord is doing in your heart is unique to you, not your child. By the way, the same goes for the child. Maybe the Lord is softening the child's heart toward the parent. Don't expect your parent to be in a similar place as you. Let God prepare you for your future regardless of what anyone else does. The big idea here is to see that God can use the tragedy, the disappointment, the frustration, the difficulty in your life as a means to turn your heart to God. The darker the night, the brighter the day. Will you walk into that light? Is he showing you that light right now? If you want to read this podcast, it's titled, again, The Remarkable Way, God Uses Your Brokenness to Heal You. If you would like to talk to us about it, we want to talk to you. Come to our website. Our community is provided to you by our faithful supporters. Get on our free community forum. Let's talk. Thank you so much for listening.